It's the Kim Munson Show, analyzing the most important stories. An early childhood taxing district, what on earth is that? The latest in politics and world affairs. I don't think that we should be passing legislation that is so complicated that people kind of throw up their hands and say, oh, I can't understand it. Today's current opinions and ideas. It is not fair that just because you're a big business that you get a break on this and the little guy doesn't. Is it freedom or is it force? Let's have a conversation. Indeed. Let's have a conversation and welcome to the Kim Munson Show. I'm Kim Munson. Thank you so much for joining us. You're treasured, valued. You have purpose today. Strive for excellence. Take care of your heart, your soul, your mind, and your body. And uh, thank you to this team that I get to work with. That's producer Steve, Zach, Patty, Keith, Charlie, Jen, uh, Echo, and all the people here at Crawford Broadcasting. And um, I'm working my way through a little bit of a summer cold here, Steve. And now I realize I sound a little bit like um, Lauren Bacall. <laughs> Very good, yes. <laughs> so hopefully that will work itself out here. We've been uh, doing different things to help the voice. So uh, be sure and check out our website. That's Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N.com. Sign up for our weekly newsletter there, and you can email me at Kim at KimMunson.com as well. And thank you to all of you who support us. We're an independent voice. We um, uh, search for truth and clarity by looking at these issues through the lens of freedom versus force, force versus freedom. If something's a good idea, you shouldn't have to force people to do it. Um, it's never compassionate to take other people's stuff, whether or not it's their rights, their property, their freedom, their livelihood, their opportunity, or their lives via force. That could be a wet with a weapon, policy, unpredictable and excessive taxation, fear, coercion, government-induced inflation, or the World Economic Forum, Davos elite group, and the agenda. And we're seeing the, that agenda playing out every day before our eyes. And uh, ultimately, it's amazing. These people are such elites. They look at themselves as special and the rest of us as minions. They think there's too many of us minions here. And we're seeing policies that uh, are making life worse for everyday people. And, and the reason this is important, Steve, is their agenda. Their agenda is one. And we've seen it. The words scarcity, chaos, confusion. Instead of um, abundance, order, um, and and we just see the difference in that. And and the American idea was founded upon this this idea that created abundance. And the bedrock of that is first of all the understanding that all men are created equal. That doesn't work up to elites and non-elites or haves and have-nots. Uh, the fact that all men are created equal in the image of God is the most radical um, idea that a country could be founded on. And that is the American idea. And my gosh, you've seen them, people trying to tear down that idea. And as Calvin Coolidge said, uh, one of our presidents, he said, if all men are created equal, then that is final. And that is that ideal, that beacon on the, the, that shining beacon on the hill that we work towards is to, to try to continue to work to a country that recognizes that and with this whole CRT thing and then sexualizing our children through the public schools, the government run schools, um, we see that that, uh, that is in, in danger. But then also, if all men are created equal with these rights from God of life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness, well, what could happen? Well, what could happen is this amazing middle class here in America where everyday people can, can have their shot at the brass ring. And throughout the history of, of, uh, the world, 
This has never happened. This is the most radical idea. Typically, it's been the haves and misery for everybody else. And that's where they're trying to get us back to is uh, it's not it's not being progressive. It's regressive to get back to uh, that that the way the world worked at that particular point in time, Steve. Well, we we went through the the last century and towards the end of the last century, the 20th century, we saw it all peak, not just in this country, but in many other places around the world. And we went into the next millennium with things working relatively well. And all of a sudden, something is reaching out, something has put a stranglehold on uh, the American idea. And again, it's, it's not... I won't say it's trickled down, but it's also reaching out to the other economies around the world and the other countries of the world. And uh, again, this elitism saying, no, no, not so fast. We don't like the way you're doing it. We want to do it our way. And, yeah. and, and again, they're, they're not a body of elected officials. They've just kind of created their own little clique and the influence they have on government. It's just astonishing. It really is astonishing. And, uh, you know, I think it really came out of the 60s where the radicals, uh, they said, hey, you know, cut your hair and um, get a job. Let's let's infiltrate education, entertainment, uh, nonprofits, government. And that's what's happened. And so that's how it's it's so um, the tentacles are so deep because you even see the policies being pushed at local governments. And you see people even with uh, R behind their names pushing forward these these policies which makes government bigger it makes the administrative state bigger and when that happens the individual gets smaller so people are waking up when we were doing the pre-call you said uh, uh, you had a couple comments uh, people are waking up and I know that you've been watching uh, producer Steve two different stock prices and you wanted to kick that around just a little bit well you 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 are the the cheerleader for this awakening uh and and i desperately want it to happen where everyone who's asleep in this country asleep at the wheel asleep at the switch to say wait a minute why is gas gasoline so high and you'll be the first to say well it's poor policy so I'm looking for indicators that the awakening is happening. Now, here, here's two particular companies I've been watching now for a while, and that's being Disney and Starbucks. Both have been at the head of the parade in impressing us with their wokeness and their kind of anti-American things that they do. So Disney stock is down 44% over a year ago. Starbucks stock is down 30% over a year ago. Now, why? Well, and there's two different things going on. First of all, um, I, I think that you're seeing, they, and they've been moving towards this ESG, this environment, society, and governance um, model, and, and and you're actually seeing a number of, of, of American corporations. And basically what that is, is <clears throat> it's a barometer to say how woke they are. But we're realizing with their stock prices going down, ultimately, if they're out of business, uh, and actually, I, I've, I've seen that with some companies that uh, they've gotten so woke that they've gone out of business and then they're uh, not woke at all uh, when they can't do any work. But so so people have not are not going to uh, they're not using Disney products uh, because I mean, you can't trust it used to be that uh, as a mom, you could put on Snow White 
Cinderella, and you know the values that were in that. That uh, gosh, there is a handsome prince. There's a you know a, a beautiful girl. That you know the, the, there's a happy ending to the whole thing. The bad guys don't win. The good guys do, and you felt pretty comfortable with that. You can't do you can't do that as a parent anymore. You can't uh, put something in front of your kids and trust that there's not going to be all kinds of uh, woke messages in there. And so parents are, are moving to different models. And and the great thing about it is you're seeing competition come in. Uh, and uh, so as that happens, then that affects Disney's revenue stream. But Starbucks has a different problem. And that is, uh, that, well, they have the woke problem, but they also have the problem that, uh, and we're seeing this in many headlines, is they are admitting that it's no, many of their coffee shops in these Democrat woke cities, it's no longer safe there. So they can't get employees. People that used to go, uh, you know, say tourists that go to these, these cities, you'd pop into Starbucks to get a cup of coffee. It's no longer safe. So the fact that they have been behind, for example, like the BLM movement that uh, destroyed many of our, our cities has been a real problem for them. Not only have they had their woke policies that are in question, but um, many of their, their uh, shops are in places that are no longer safe. And when you don't have safe neighborhoods, you don't have a business, Steve. And they had employees uh, who went so far as to, in those in those particular cities you're talking about, uh, beat cops coming in for a cup of coffee, and, and and their employees had the audacity to ask them to leave. So yes, it's funny. Both of these companies that I name have things working against them that maybe they never even thought of. In the case of Disney, obviously there's there are two main attraction points: Disney World in Florida, Disneyland in California. And, you know, parents are saying, wait a minute, at the price of gas, do I want to drive how many hundred miles to take the kids to a place like this? I, I'm exactly. not going to do it. And I'm Starbucks has, you know, what, what's you know going against them is you've already said it, you know, the, the fact that they're actually closing stores, like 16 yeah. outlets. Uh, now, maybe when you think about the hundreds or thousands of uh, outlets that they have, 16 isn't a big deal, but it's still, it, it sets a precedent. It does set a precedent. So we're going to go to break. Before we do that, though, our quote for the day is from Robert Schuler. And he was an American Christian televangelist, pastor, multiple, motivational speaker, and author. And in his five decades of television, Schuler was principally known for the weekly Hour of Power television program, which he began hosting in 1970 until he retired in 2010. He was born in 1926. He died in 2015. And he said this. He said, tough times never last, but tough people do. And we need to remember that. Uh, and, of course, he lived through um, World War II. He lived through, uh, well, he was a kid during the Depression, uh, Vietnam. And then, of course, he's, he, he was seeing what was happening in America as well. And so, my friends, we are at this time where we're having tough times, but tough times never last, and tough people do. So we're going to go to break. We'll be right back. The Metro home ownership real estate market is very tight right now. That's why Kim Munson recommends you have seasoned Remax realtor Karen Levine on your side of the table. Karen Levine will help you navigate through the many details of your home buying experience so that you can successfully pursue your American dream. Because Karen Levine cares about property rights for each individual, she volunteers hundreds of hours to represent home ownership opportunities at the local, county, state, and 
on national levels. If you are considering buying or selling your home, call Karen Levine today at 303-877-7516. Again, that's 303-877-7516. In a healthcare setting, informed consent provides that you, the patient, will have a say in your healthcare plan. This collaboration between you and your healthcare provider applies to most medical procedures, including vaccination. Informed consent is a legal and ethical obligation of your healthcare provider and should include the benefits, risks, and alternatives regarding the proposed treatment. Informed consent is not just your signature, it could be your life. This message is sponsored by Colorado Healthcare Providers for Freedom.com. All of Kim's sponsors are an inclusive partnership with Kim and are not affiliated with or in partnership with KLZ or Crawford Broadcasting. If you would like to support the work of the Kim Munson Show and grow your business, contact Kim at her website, KimMunson.com. That's Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N.com. With the right training from Franktown Firearms, anyone can improve. The professionals at Franktown meet you at your current level of experience, gauging your level of confidence so that they know what kind of training to recommend to you. After you purchase your firearm, regardless of the level you're at, Franktown will encourage you to train. They maintain a comfortable atmosphere, encouraging improvement from any level with one-on-one training and private training up to advanced training and classes. They even offer a concealed carry certification class. Franktown actively avoids the corporate model as a family-owned, operated, and family-friendly environment. They give everyone the time of day, meaning that they emphasize the importance of training in a comfortable and inclusive environment. Franktown Firearms wants you to be as invested in improving your skills as they are in their training with you. Sign up for a course today at klzradio.com franktown. Franktown Firearms, where friends are made. And welcome back to the Kim Munson Show. I'm Kim Munson. Be sure and check out our website. That's Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N dot com. Sign up for our weekly newsletter there. You can email me at Kim at Kim Munson dot com as well. And thank you to all of us, uh, all of you who support us. We are an independent voice and we search for truth and clarity by looking at these issues through the lens of freedom versus force, force versus freedom. And Steve, I really do think that uh, there is a great awakening. I think everyday people are realizing that uh, they go to the gas pump, they go to the grocery store, they realize something isn't right. And what isn't right is public policy. And we have, I think many times we've elected people, listened to what they had to say, and then not paid any more attention. And we have a civic duty to pay attention. But then many of these... um, these politicians that then are elected and uh, I'd really like to have elected representatives. I do not call them elected officials. They are elected representatives. And then some of them are politicians uh, that may be trying to get into office for their own self-interest instead of being representatives of the people. But uh, then many of these politicians push off the, the bad decisions off over here to these bureaucracies, the administrative state that are not accountable to the people. So that's going to be, uh, it might be boards, commissions, authorities, but people are, that are not elected. And we need to rein that in. I think that we need to, um, I mean, there's thousands of boards and commissions in Colorado. And the problem is, is you get interested parties that get onto those things and it affects public policy. So it's somewhat insidious. And, you know, I was on city council for four years. So I got a look at how that sausage is made. 
and uh, was very concerned about that sausage. We are now seeing the ramifications of how that sausage is being made, and uh, uh, people, people are going, I don't think I like that. You know, I've heard that analogy many times now over you know my years. You know how the sausage is made or how hot dogs are made, and it, it's not pretty. And so it's, every time somebody uses it, it always makes me chuckle. And I, you know, I, I saw a great uh, thing on social media today that's reminding you, reminding us that you know it says remember the reason that there are circus clowns is that they send in the clowns when something goes wrong to distract the people. And it says, have you been looking in the halls of Congress and uh, state or federal level? There are an awful lot of clowns running around these days. There are. And that is why and I have people reach out to me on a consistent basis. And, I, you know, there's a lot of great podcasters out there. And we do podcasts as well. And we make the shows into a podcast. But talk radio, independent radio like what we're doing is so important. And um, because you have you have people you know, across the country that are, are shedding light on this. And, uh, you know, we're, we're one of the most respected grassroots voices in Colorado. And KLZ 560 has a tremendous reach. Uh, the broadcast reach goes all the way up into Wyoming, uh, south into New Mexico, east into Kansas and Nebraska, and west into Vail and uh, Grand Lake. And, of course, people listen to us all over the country via either the website or the app. And so this voice that um, we have is is really super important. Uh, Steve, before we get into some of these other headlines, you mentioned uh, Coca-Cola when we were during, in between break because you had mentioned Disney and Starbucks, which have been so woke. Uh, their stock prices are... Um, have have gone to sleep, if you will. They've gone, gotten so woke. They're down significantly. But uh, during the break, you mentioned you're also watching Coca-Cola. Well, only because I remember vividly two <laughs> years ago when uh, Antifa and uh, Black Lives Matter kind of kicked in our, our awareness door. Coca-Cola was out there saying, oh, yeah, Black Lives Matter. We're behind them all the way. But I invite anybody, go search on Coca-Cola stock and look at the five-year view Notice what happened in 2020 about, oh, it looks to be somewhere in the first quarter. It took a dive. It went from $60 a share down to below $40 a share. And I can't help thinking you know, maybe the consumer says, well, wait a minute. We don't, we don't understand this, this, the motivations of these groups at all, especially when they're burning down our cities. And maybe we don't need to be buying as many Coke products. So the funniest part is, if you look at that five-year view, it's taken them the two years since to crawl back up to the price they were before you know they started blowing their horn about how much they supported Black Lives Matter or Antifa. Well, I don't drink a lot of soda pop. Uh, however, typically Coca-Cola is my soda pop of choice. And I have to say, since they uh, took that woke stand... I have maybe had three Coca-Colas over all this time. And uh, there have been times it's like, oh, I'd really like, mm, nope, not going to do that. So but it's I your guess fault. you're saying it's, it's my fault. Yeah, yes, okay. it's my fault. Okay, um, let's, uh, let's uh, quickly talk about um, stock prices then. And Patty had pulled this whole thing regarding Pfizer. And this is by do uh, Dr. Joseph McCullough. And it says um, how Pfizer profited from the pandemic. So I, I continue to say that big government and big business like each other. And when you hear 
uh, PBIs use the term public-private partnership, I, I think actually what you can say, also think of, is that um, the public's going to get screwed. I mean, that's basically, I think, what happens. And uh, the businesses that are involved, they are protected. And I saw this, again, when I was on city council, there, that because of Tabor, there might be um, constraints on a public project. Uh, and so in order to do that public project to raise tax money uh, under Tabor, Colorado's Taxpayers' Bill of Rights, the project would have to go before the people. And many times the people would probably say no. So what PBIs would do is they would go around the people and put together a, a, pub, a public-private partnership. And in essence, they would get the project done. Uh, the public ultimately would be on the hook for the project. Uh, and the um, the 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 private company would be able to eliminate most of their risk. They'd get the project done. And maybe it was a good project, but typically it's a workaround on having to ask the people, uh, the citizens, what they wanted to do. So whenever you hear the word public-private partnership, you know, just bear in mind that uh, the public is probably going to be paying for it. And you take a look at Pfizer, and that's exactly what happened. Uh, and this is what Mercola said. He said, the COVID-19 pandemic has been a real boon to Pfizer. Not only has it doubled Pfizer's annual revenue, it has also given the drug maker unique weight in determining U.S. health policy, something that concerns even staunch vaccine pushers like Dr. Paul Offit. Says Pfizer's revenue in 2021 was $81.3 billion, approximately double that of 2020. And the COVID shot accounted for $36.78 billion of that. Says Pfizer's COVID jab dominates 70% of the U.S. and European markets. And Paxlovid, its COVID drug, has become a standard treatment choice in hospitals. Now, let's just talk about that. Didn't you find it interesting that PBIs uh, and disinformation campaigns and all uh, uh, really prevented people from having something very affordable as their treatment, which was hydroxychloroquine or ivermectin? But we see now that um, Pfizer's product, Paxlovid, or I guess it's Paxlovid, is now the standard treatment in hospitals. Don't you find that curious, Producer Steve? <laughs> curious? I, <laughs> it's it's astounding, astonishing that they're able to dominate like that. But then going to the, ne- the next part, this is the one that you know makes me incredibly c- curious. Okay. Well, finishing the thought on this particular bullet point, it said uh, all of this, despite findings showing the shot doesn't prevent infection or transmission and that Paxlovid causes severe rebound and supercharges mutations. So, I mean, can you believe that? But this this is the one that got your blood pressure up. And there's probably some kind of Pfizer product that's out there to try to bring your pl- uh, blood pressure down. So, again, isn't that interesting how they, they do things that make our blood pressure go up and then they have a product that's supposed to bring it down? Ha. Anyway, uh, the U.S. has thrown away 82.2 million expired COVID jab doses as of mid-May 2022. Yet the Biden administration ordered another 105 million doses at the end of June 2022 for a fall booster campaign that will cost taxpayers $3.2 billion. Says Pfizer's contracts are almost exclusively slanted in Pfizer's favor. And see, that's where I was talking about your public-private partnerships. It says their guaranteed payment while having no financial liability for injuries and deaths, and it appears this indemnification applies even if they were to be found guilty of fraud. Can you believe that? By the way, guess whose stock (laughs) is up 25% over a year ago? Guess. Uh, That would be Pfizer, probably, Uh, right? Yeah, it would, yes. Uh Uh-huh. 
Uh-huh. Okay, so the next thing that I wanted to mention, if you were watching the news yesterday, there was a, um explosion at Hoover Dam. And, of course, uh, Lake Mead uh, is, uh, and we had Greg Walter on recently, who is um, uh, an expert on natural resources. And he had written a piece about Lake Mead is at, at historical lows, and, my gosh, that scares people to death. And Lake Mead, Hoover Dam, uh, that creates a, um, a lot of hydropower that I, I think provides electricity for Southern California, for Las Vegas, and it's at historic lows. And uh, Greg Walter said the reason is is because if you have a bathtub, Lake Mead, and you have the plug open, well, guess what? Uh, ultimately, the water's going to run out. So why is why don't we have policymakers that are trying to get creative to figure out what to do? And he also explained the the Colorado River. There's the uh, upper the upper states of of this uh, water pack and the lower states. And the lower states are draining the bathtub. Well, why don't we figure out a way to fill up the the bathtub? And uh, you know we have oil pipelines. Of course, uh, Biden is closing those those down, such as the Keystone XL pipeline. But uh, why not a water pop, uh, uh, pipeline? You've got a whole western uh, boundary of California is water. Uh, I think we could probably put our, our brains together and come up with a way to desalinate uh, that water and pump it back up to Lake Mead. And I think that we could figure that out. And why not do that instead of spending these billions of dollars? And I got to get Randall O'Toole on this regarding the billions of dollars that California wants to do use to um, build this bullet train, uh, ultimately from San Francisco down to, I think, San Diego or Los Angeles, uh, billions of dollars. And people are probably not going to ride it. And instead of, and, and people really, I think, need water and electricity more than they need that bullet train why don't they do that instead of um, instead of the bullet train figuring out to to fill uh, like me back up steve i'm thinking uh your your words not mine to describe uh, our light rail here at home as you know they were behind the eight ball all, all the way in terms of the timing, you know, in terms of getting light rail for Denver Metro, they were 30 years behind the eight ball. But you said, oh, it was sexy. <laughs> Those are your words, not mine. I'm thinking California is thinking the same thing. You know, they're in terms of the defining the actual need for a bullet train. And then, like you said, who's going to ride it unless it's the F word force. You know, they'll find a way to mm-hmm. force ridership. But you're you're right on. Well, and they're trying to do that, again, through public policy, because California has such high gas taxes. I think gas is, uh, at least it's been over $6 a gallon there. And again, that's because of public policy. And so just to to connect all these dots, public policy, and of course, Biden wants to uh, blame Putin. And Biden was not, this was another headline, Biden was not successful in encouraging the Saudis to increase their oil production. Uh, and here, here we are. We're sitting here on all these oil and natural gas reserves, and they're using public policy to say, no, 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 we can't, we can't use that. It's, it's really kind of beyond belief. Um, and so public policy, people are waking up. We need to be electing people that have our best interests in mind. Uh, and, and when, we, when Americans thrive and flourish, 
it's actually better for everyday people throughout the world. And I was just thinking, we had Bob Boswell on yesterday. Oil and gas, natural resources, natural uh, fuel sources, such as oil and gas, uh, in third world countries, it can help with water purification. It can free up women from having to go out every day and search for dung and wood to uh, use as fuel to cook and keep their places warm. If you had uh, actually abundant, affordable, reliable, and efficient energy, it makes their lives better. And so why on earth are these elites standing in the way of that? It's because of power and control. So we're going to go to break. Uh, One of the things that keeps me up at night is what is happening in our government-run schools. And uh, the curriculum, the uh, over-sexualization of our kids, uh, this critical race theory teaching kids that they're either an oppressor or a victim that's not healthy, putting people into groups instead of the beautiful individuals that they are, uh, is of great concern to me. Now, we have many great teachers in the public school system. However, the public school system is letting us down. Our kids are not learning to read and write and do arithmetic. And so we're seeing this um, explosion in homeschooling. And some parents, they, they're frustrated that their kids are in school in these public-run or government-run schools, but they don't know what to do. So we're going to have Kim Ware on in these next two segments. And she's the outreach director of uh, the Christian Home Educators of Colorado. And we're going to talk about what homeschooling is and different options. You will not want to miss it. We'll be right back. Inflation is rocking our boats, especially for individuals on fixed incomes. If you are 62 years or older, mortgage specialist with Polygon Financial Group, Lauren Levy, can help you navigate this inflation squeeze with a reverse mortgage. Additionally, if you are considering buying a new home, refinancing your existing home, or consolidating high interest debt, it's not too late to lock in an interest rate before interest rates increase again. Don't wait. Kim Munson recommends you call Lauren Levy today at 303-880-8881 for a no-cost consultation. That's Lauren Levy at 303-880-8881. Inflation is out of control. Increasing prices at the gas pump and grocery stores are hurting everyday people. All these challenges we face are preventable. Individuals must understand what is going on. That's why Kim Munson is bringing truth and clarity to the issues facing our families, our communities, our state, and our country. Now, more than ever, it's important to support Kim's independent voice. Kim has the courage to research and inform you about the real issues. It's not easy, and Kim can use your help. Go to KimMunson.com to contribute. Again, help Kim by contributing at Kim Munson. That's M-O-N-S-O-N.com. And welcome back to the Kim Munson Show. I'm Kim Munson. Be sure and check out our website. That's Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N.com. Sign up for our weekly newsletter there. You can email me at Kim at KimMunson.com as well. And thank you to all of you who support us. We're an independent voice. We search for truth and clarity by looking at these issues through the lens of freedom versus force, force versus freedom. Something's a good idea. You shouldn't have to force people to do it. On the line with me is Kim Ware, and she's the outreach director for the uh, Christian Home Educators of Colorado. And it's great to have you on the line. Welcome, Kim Ware. Hi, thank you, Kim. Nice to meet you. I know this is we we met uh, over uh, email, but it's great to actually get to talk with you, Kim. I think one of the 
the silver linings of COVID is that parents uh, saw with their kids being locked out of school, uh, at home, learning online, I have learning in air quotes there, that um, that they saw what curriculum was. They were also seeing that the this public government-run school system is letting families down. And so there's been a real boon in um, families choosing homeschooling, correct? Yes, ma'am, there is. We saw a 45% growth in 2020-2021. Well, I'm sorry, 2019-2020, we saw a 45% growth in homeschooling in the state of Colorado. And that growth did not drop off. In fact, we grew another 10% the following year. So we're still rocking and rolling with homeschooling in this state. Um, I have um, my sister-in-law's nieces and nephews uh, were homeschooled their kids. And this was probably 10 years ago. Well, maybe 12 years ago. And I was at a wedding. This was uh, kind of, I think, I guess after kind of after things were uh, opening up a little bit after COVID. And I was talking to them about homeschooling. I said, you did homeschooling, you know, before it was really cool. And she said, yeah, we're the cool kids now. And I thought I thought that was really uh, great. And, of course, the kids, uh, homeschooling, they had a great education. And so many times when you see, like, winners of spelling bees, many times those kids are homeschooled. So, and mm-hmm. and uh, uh, so tell us a little bit about what homeschooling is exactly. Sure. Well, homeschooling, I will tell you from my personal experience, and everyone told me not to do it was, you know, don't go home and set up a desk and don't try to recreate public school at home. And I absolutely did. I had an area. I still made my kids say the Pledge of Allegiance. And um, it wasn't long before I realized that all the people who gave me that advice were totally right. And it's not public school. You're not recreating the wheel at home. Homeschooling is a wonderful opportunity for families to learn together all the different subjects that interest your family along with the subjects that are required by the state. So what if parents, I I remember uh, when my kids were in school, there was one family that was homeschooling. Their kids played on one of the sports teams, and I didn't really understand it. And uh, my daughter had said, guys, why don't you homeschool? And I'm like, well, that means you'd have me 24-7. And she goes, oh. But so I never really understood it. But as I look back and have learned more about some of the stuff that happened in the government-run schools, uh, and I, I think my kids got through it okay, but I now look at them and I say, okay, I, I'm not sure that, well, when I, I realized that um, actually one of my kids never learned cursive. And I take mm-hmm. it for granted that he would learn cursive. And even to this point, as an adult, he doesn't really use cursive. And, and I think that I should have been on that a little. I, I didn't understand what was happening, and Kim, and uh, shame on me on that. But uh, I guess I made assumptions, and I feel like I was let down a little bit on that. Well, I, you know, first of all, you're not alone. And I always think that unless you are just an evil person, right, no one tries to raise their kids in a way that is incorrect or improper. People do the best with what they 
have and with what they know to do, no one is trying to do wrong by their kids. So I think you probably shouldn't be so hard on yourself um, Mm -hmm. or feel any shame or any letdown in that way because you did what you need to do with what you had. And so now what's great about the cultural moment we're in is that people know more and they're waking up to what is happening in the school system and realizing that the state does not have your children's best interest in mind. The state has the state's best interest in mind. So, um, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, so for parents today, we actually, there are some states where it's more difficult to homeschool and there are some states where it's really easy and Colorado sort of falls in the middle of that. Once you wrap your mind around how to do it legally, which is really not that hard, Check is amazing at being able to help you. And we have such a network of homeschooling families in and outside of Check throughout the state that once parents catch the vision for homeschooling, they want to bring other people with them. So in the state of Colorado, you have basically three options to be able to homeschool your kids. You can file a notice of intent with your school district. You can come underneath an umbrella school like Check. Check is actually called the Colorado, oh, I'm sorry, the Christian Home Educators of Colorado Independent School. And when you come under an independent school, it gives you a layer of privacy between yourself and the state. So you're not interacting with your school district at all. You're only interacting with your independent school. And then finally, you can be a certified Colorado teacher. And then you don't have to do any of that. You just get to school your kids at home. Okay, what about a family? For whatever reason, um, parents are like, I I really, I'm frustrated with where my kids are in a government-run school. I'd really like to do some kind of other option. I don't, I'm, I'm, I can't, I, I need to work, I can't uh, homeschool. What kind, is there any options for people that find themselves in that situation? There definitely are. In fact, my husband and I are both working parents, and I have been a work-from-home, stay-at-home mom since my daughter was born, and she's 16 now. And I think what we fail to understand about homeschooling versus schooling in a brick-and-mortar school is that a lot of time is wasted in the brick-and-mortar school. I mean, think about trying to get everybody settled in their seats, getting books passed out, then there's bathroom breaks, then we have to walk to and from, sometimes across the school building to get to whatever class is next. And there's just a lot of time that's wasted. So ideally, your school day is going to take four hours max And that's what the state requires is an average of four hours a day. But that can look however you want it to as a parent. So from a working parent perspective, you are teaching your kids how to teach themselves so that by the time they are in high school, they are pretty self-directed and they're going after the things that they want to learn and need to learn. In the early years the actual academic work it doesn't take very long at all. I probably spend maybe, I have an eight-year-old, that's my youngest. I probably spend maybe 30 to 45 minutes actually sitting down with him to go through rudimentary skills from phonics to math. And the rest of the time is spent um, 
reading together. And that can happen any time of the day. It doesn't have to happen in the morning. If you're a eight to five parent who's working um, and you can, you know, arrange for childcare or do a co-op or something like that, you can school in the evening. You can school on the weekends. I know some families that are skiing families and in the winter, they, they take off, they go to ski on Saturday and let's see here, they get back on like Tuesday or something and they school Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and then like they work it out somehow. But there is so much flexibility. So I think we've just been told for so long that here's what education looks like and there is no other way to do it. And you are not a good parent if you are not educating this way. It's just a complete myth. Well, and can people work together? Could two families work together, homeschooling, where, um, you know, one parent might, you know, work, you know, do school on one day and another parent on another day? Is that possible here in Colorado? In Colorado, the parent is supposed to be the primary teacher, according to the law. So there's not a lot of flexibility for um, for switching off like that. But what you can do is come um, come together, and it's not that hard to form your own little private school. And that falls under a different statute, which Carolyn Martin, our government relations person, or Brenda Kelly, our office manager, could explain in more detail. But parents can certainly work together. And that's what happens. I, so I would not err on the side of saying, well, we're going to be at this house one day, and this person's going to teach you all day long, and then another house this day, and this person's going to teach you all day long. Because then, it, then, according to the law, it starts to take some of the control out of the hands of the parent of the individual child. But parents can come together in more of a co-op situation and share strengths. For example, I am not a science mom at all. I want to be so badly, but I'm. <laughs> it's just not my gifting. Right. So we got involved in a co-op where I'm there and we go once a week and the kids get to do their science experiments and other parents are sharing their skills and knowledge. And one time I was trying to run an art project and another mother who was there who was a former art teacher before she had kids came alongside me and she's like, um, I don't think it's supposed to go this way exactly. I was like, oh, thank you for being gentle with me. You're right. I don't know what I'm doing. Um, but, you know, we equip for the journey as we go through the journey. It's the same thing with having a child, right? We don't, um, unless we are doing the awesome work of foster care or adoption, our babies aren't born as 10-year-olds, right? They're born, right. they're born as babies, and we learn along with them. And that homeschooling is a lot that way. Okay, so Kim Ware, this is so interesting. Um, I want to go to break, and two things I want to ask about is, first of all, socialization. People say, well, if my kids don't get all the social interaction if uh, if they're homeschooling. And then the other thing is, uh, I think those that try to thwart homeschooling are saying, well, you know, if uh, what what about those kids in inner city schools or that have parents that uh, would not be involved in trying to homeschool? It it hurts them. So I, I want to um, 
you know, talk about those two things. We're going to go to break. I'm talking with Kim Ware. She is the outreach director for the Christian Home Educators of Colorado, and I think she said independent schools. And uh, before we do that, though, the the nonprofit that I have adopted is the Marine Memorial out at uh, 6th Avenue in Colfax. And it was dedicated in 1977, and Paula Sarles and her whole team, and Paula is a Marine uh, Vietnam-era veteran. She's a Gold Star wife, and she and her team are working to raise the money to remodel that. If you want to help them, go to USMCMemorialFoundation.org, and you can buy a brick to honor your military service or uh, your family's military service. It'll be on one of the walkways, and uh, you can do that at USMCMemorialFoundation.org. We're going to go to break. We'll be right back with Kim Ware. Three Points Financial is a fiduciary financial planning company focused on helping individuals and families. Mary Alpers and Steve Cruz at Three Points Financial specialize in investment strategies, tax planning and preparation, and retirement planning with no product sales or commissions. Tax laws have changed and will continue to change. Inflation is real. Three Points Financial helps you maneuver through these changes to achieve your financial success. For clarity and a solid, relevant financial and investment plan while working with a company that puts your interests at the forefront, schedule a no-obligation initial consultation at threepointsfinancial.com. That's threepointsfinancial.com. You'd like to get in touch with one of the sponsors of The Kim Munson Show, but you can't remember their phone contact or website information. Find a full list of advertising partners on Kim's website, kimmunson.com. That's Kim, M-O-N-S-O-N dot com. And welcome back to the Kim Munson Show. I'm Kim Munson. Be sure and check out our website. That's Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N dot com. Sign up for our weekly newsletter there. You can email me at Kim at Kim Munson dot com as well. And thank you to all of you who support us. We're an independent voice. We search for truth and clarity by looking at these issues through the lens of freedom versus force, force versus freedom. I'm thrilled to have on the line with me Kim Ware. And she is the outreach director for the Christian Home Educators of Colorado Independent Schools. And Kim, during break, I was thinking about it. I mean, I spent a lot of time with my kids. I was in the classroom a lot. I, uh, I, I've i been an entrepreneur all, you know, for years and years and years. So what that meant is I had a flexible schedule. And so I, I worked, but I also you know, was really hands-on with my kids. And I'm thinking about this as I could have homeschooled. But one of the things um, that people would always say about homeschooling is uh, the kids don't get the socialization of a public school. Of course, I'm looking at public schools right now. And I'm like, mm, that's probably not a bad thing to not get that socialization. <laughs> but uh, but uh, what's your thoughts on that? Sure. Well, I think the running joke with homeschoolers now is that um, socialization is, such a myth. And in fact, if you want to homeschool, you have to stay home to actually homeschool because there's so many fun things to do throughout the week and getting together with other people. So um, so when you think about a classroom situation, we think um, traditionally that that is the hub for socializing our kids. But when they're in a classroom all day long with their peers, they're truly not getting socialized. They are learning how to talk and interact and be with people who are their same age uh, and generally their same social, emotional, emotional, and physical development. So it's flat socialization. 
as a homeschooler, you are interacting daily with various levels of development from adults and parents in the home to siblings to going out into public and interacting with the world at large. You know, I remember growing up and being public schooled, which, you know, I I did fine in public school um, and having no understanding of what was actually going on in the rest of the world. My world revolved around me, and maybe that's what you remember, too. Um, I didn't know what my parents did all day. I did not know how to go to the grocery store. Uh, now, I'm a firstborn type A personality, so I did okay talking with adults and interacting with teachers. But um, maybe you've seen this too, but kids who are interacting with only their peer groups every day, get them in a room with adults or strangers or people they don't know, and they clam up. They're completely quiet. It is very hard. Well, it's hard to talk to a teenager anyway. <laughs> right. But right. Uh, it's it's difficult to have a conversation with someone who is only used to interacting with their peers on this flat scale. So socialization is actually better for those who have been homeschooled because of the range of people that they get to interact with every single day and their interaction not only scholastically with materials, but just life in general, learning life skills that just can't be taught in a brick-and-mortar school. Because, hello, they've also taken away, um, from my understanding, where's home ec? Where are these classes right, that right. used to be taught regularly? Where's, where's civics? That's all right. been completely warped. You know, that's so, so interesting. I hope you... that answers your question. It, it does. And I'm looking right now, are you familiar with this uh, eighth grade exam from like 1895 in Saline County, Kansas? Have you ever seen that by any chance? I know I have, but it has been years ago. And so these were the, the tests that came out of these little one-room school, schoolhouses where what you were just, it made me think of it, so I just pulled it up, where there were kids in these one-room schoolhouses of all different ages, I mean, the kids mm-hmm. that came out of these uh, one-room schoolhouses became the greatest generation. Um, you know, they, they, um, I mean, several things happened. I mean, the Civil War was fought. I, I, I actually, I'm not quite sure when these one-room schoolhouses got started, but, but you know, this was this was back in the 1800s. And uh, mm-hmm. it's just pretty fascinating. Uh, I think that there's probably a lot of people with doctorates that cannot answer these basic questions. And I would encourage people to take a look at that. And so kids came out of that uh, with the tools to go after their hopes and dreams. And uh, right. it's always terrified me. And when I was on city council, we you'd get into these different public policy meetings, and you'd have PBIs, um, I call them politicians, bureaucrats, and interested parties, that would say, hey, we're getting together with business and we're finding out what they want, how they want to educate our kids to, uh, to for the workforce. I'm thinking that is not the proper role of education. It's not the proper role right. of government either um, because right. we need to make sure our kids have the tools that they can, can go after their own hopes and dreams. So the other question I wanted to ask is, do you, is there any push, uh, pushback on homeschooling uh, saying, hey, kids in inner city schools, failing schools, uh, we need to keep those going, even though they're failing our kids. I mean, how how's that whole inner city school thing addressed? 
You know, I wish I could give you a concrete answer on that. That um, that particular question is not in my wheelhouse at this moment. Um, but from a personal perspective, I think that just highlights where there's so much more work to do from the perspective of outreach and getting people on board with the mission of understanding that, hey, homeschooling does work. Homeschooling is good for our kids. And what is happening in those areas that is preventing parents from from being able to take on the role of homeschooling? Um, it just seems like there's a ton of other factors that fit in to to that question, um, all the problems that come along with being in the, quote, inner city. It's like I listened to a podcast addressing the homelessness problem and the tents that are in Denver proper um, and people talking about, well, like a lot of what we're seeing are just symptoms of a more deeply rooted problem. And what is that problem and how can we address it? And unfortunately, I haven't studied up on that enough to be able to give a concrete answer. But it it does highlight that there's still so much work to be done. And those who are already invested in homeschooling and understand how unparalleled it is in just raising our kids and educating them at home to make them productive members of society, you know, we all should be getting on board and looking outside ourselves to see how can we help people who are not in as fortunate circumstances. Well, and, and so that is why we need to be very careful of government getting out of their lane as far as public policy has made it more expensive for families to try to, um, you know, make ends meet. And so we need to be electing policymakers that realize that we need to lower taxes, rules, regulations, and free up, empower people to be able to make their own decisions. And so when I, I've heard different things such as, um, you know, early childhood taxing districts, um, it seems like uh, PBIs want to get their hands on kids earlier and earlier with uh, mm-hmm. all-day kindergarten, all those kinds of things. We need to realize that uh, holding on to our kids, they're our children. They're not the state's children. Uh, what's That's your final right. thought? We've got about a minute left. Kim Ware, this has been just fascinating. Uh, what's your final thought that you'd like to leave with our listeners? My final thought that I'd like to leave with our listeners is that if you have even an inkling that you might want to homeschool, hold on to that and let it grow. Come check out Check. Uh, reach out to me personally. I am happy to help you come to one of our introductory seminars and just know that you can homeschool. There is a nationwide study that was done that showed that um, 87% of kids that um, are homeschool, I'm sorry, 87% of peer-reviewed studies on social, emotional, and psychological development, homeschoolers perform better. And these are with parents who um, do not have higher levels of education. You're going to learn beside your kids and that no one will love your kids the way that you do. Uh, that's for sure. Kim Ware, thank you so much. Outreach Director for CHEC, that's C-H-E-C, that's Colorado, uh, excuse me, Christian Home Educators of Colorado. Thank you so much. I've learned a lot and uh, about homeschooling, so thank you so much. Thanks, Kim. 
Okay, and our quote for the end of the day is from Robert Schuler. He said, when faced with a mountain, I will not quit. I will keep on striving until I climb over, find a pass through, tunnel underneath, or simply stay and turn the mountain into a gold mine with God's help. So my friends today, be grateful, read great books, think good thoughts, listen to beautiful music, communicate and listen well, live honestly and authentically, strive for high ideals, and like Superman, stand for truth, justice, and the American way. My friends, you are not alone. God bless you, and God bless America. It's the Kim Munson Show, analyzing the most important story. Out here in Colorado, we had a sex education bill that was passed. It was signed by the governor and put into law. I just can't believe what is happening to uh, public education. The latest in politics and world affairs. We are now using policy that if you don't affirm something, that they use policy then to take away your businesses. Today's current opinions and ideas. Kids are just being bombarded with darkness. Is it freedom or is it force? Let's have a conversation. You know, we need to get back to letting our kids be kids. Uh-oh, guess what day it is. Guess what day it is. Leslie, guess what today is. It's hump day. Indeed, it is hump day. And welcome back to the Kim Munson Show. I'm Kim Munson. Be sure to check out our website. That's Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N.com. Sign up for our weekly newsletter there. You can email me at Kim at Kim Munson.com as well. And thank you to all of you who support us. We're an independent voice. We search for truth and clarity by looking at these issues through the lens of freedom versus force, force versus freedom. And my friends, it's never compassionate to take other people's stuff, whether or not it's their rights, their property, their freedom, their livelihood, opportunity, or their lives via force, whether with a weapon, policy, unpredictable and excessive taxation, fear, coercion, government-induced inflation, or the World Economic Forum Davos Globalist Elite's agenda. Uh, And uh, my gosh, that whole agenda is taking uh, opportunity and livelihoods uh, via force. And of course, they, they've hidden it under um, concern uh, about the environment. And Steve, as we were coming into uh, in between the, the two hours here, you said that the, the news sources were talking about the high temperatures. Uh, it is summertime in America right now, but they're just continuing to talk about these temperatures, which just, you know, um, plays right into the enviros, uh, you know, whole climate change uh, scares people. And, uh, you know, the, I mean, it's summertime and there are summers that are hotter than others. And uh, but to your point, you're, you said that they're just trying to scare people. Yeah, uh, I guess it's England and uh, specifically that they're banging on right now over 100 degrees, 104 degrees. But it's the way they do it. It's the sensationalism. And yeah. it's, oh, let's get you stirred up. This is climate change in action, folks. Yeah. And uh, then, and then, of course, uh, then it just pushes these policies that ultimately these policies, they're bad policies. And uh, the bad policies of this Davos, uh, Davos elites, uh, the bad policies is actually about power and control. They're not trying to solve any problem. Okay, so, and, and we talked about it um, a little bit in the first hour. Lake Mead, which is, uh, it's, as uh, Greg Walcher, who's an expert in natural resources, we had him on recently, uh, had said is uh, the bathtub, the plug is open. California is just draining Lake Mead, the bathtub there. It's not good water management. If we roll up our sleeves, we can get creative and we can solve these problems, but they don't want to solve the problems. They want to create the problems. 
so that they can continue to uh, uh, maintain power and control. That's what this whole thing is about. We as human beings, if, if we go to work on a problem, we can solve it. You can see that with the oil and gas industry. The engineers, you know, Jimmy Carter said, hey, we're going to be running out of uh, oil and gas here within 10 years. So what happens is American ingenuity, they roll up their sleeves, they come up with hydraulic fracturing and horizontal drilling, and we are sitting on years and years and years and years of, uh, as I think it's Bill, our caller said, it's natural fuels. We're not going to call it fossil fuels because the earth is continuing to create them as well. So we're sitting on these these great great reserves and because of public policy because of biden and the puppeteers that are are controlling him which this goes all the way to the davos elites then are putting in policies that that (coughs) say oh no you can't you can't um uh, uh develop and explore for oil and gas here in america and then biden runs over to saudi arabia and begs uh the crown prince over there to up their oil and gas production. It's like, why, why over there? Why not here? But then that means that they have control over us because if you c- control energy, if you control water, and if you control food, you control the people. And that's how ultimately what's happening here, Steve. Yeah, I and mean, you, you raise a good point. In terms of getting more Saudi oil, I mean, what's the difference in, in the gasoline that we're burning here uh, comes you know, was originally from Saudi oil, or it's from our own. And let's just look at this whole mad madness. Uh, and quite frankly, he did say in, in the campaign, he said, "I'm going to shut down uh, fossil fuels in this country." And okay, I mean, do it over progression of time, and let the free market be the driving p- piece of it. I mean, there's a reason that very few people have landline phones anymore. There's a reason that we, uh, you know, the, the big freight trains that are going through Denver aren't pulled by steam locomotives anymore. Technology moved forward, and technology would move forward to eventually maybe phase out fossil fuels. It doesn't have to be done through this artificial government mandate. And mandate is another word for force. Okay. Yes. So, just so we remember that. And then you have uh, your idiotic transportation secretary. He did it again just in the last two days. You know, in some committee meeting, he's basically saying, and he's going to have a hard time walking this one back. He said, the more pain we feel at the pump, the better for the uh, electric vehicle industry. Now, wh- why would he have that kind of a bias? And yet in Texas, because, again, of terrible, um, terrible policy, terrible, um, what could I say it? Um, I want to say energy policy. Uh, we saw that people died, people, you know, during the ice storm. So, so you have an ice storm that's a problem. Now we have uh, heat that's a problem. It's because these PBIs are not rolling up their sleeves and trying to address these problems. We know there's going to be ice storms. We know there's going to be heat. How do we solve this problem so that we make sure that uh, people have abundant, efficient, reliable, and affordable energy? Uh, but he just said it. He doesn't want affordable energy. They want to push people into electric vehicles. But yet then Tesla sends uh, their, their uh, car owners in Texas a message saying, well, maybe don't charge it during this time. Uh, and so really most people that I think 
have electric vehicles. Most of them have a gas-powered vehicle that they use when they are really serious about traveling. In fact, I know a family just recently that went to the East Coast. They have uh, three different vehicles. They decided to use their gas-powered vehicle to go to the East Coast because it was much more convenient. It was much more efficient. And uh, so um, what's probably happening in Texas is people are using their reliable gas-powered vehicle to get around because, gosh, if you can't charge your car and you can't get to work, that would be a problem. So uh, Pete Buttigieg trying to push people into electric vehicles is just, um, it's an agenda. It's not uh, trying to represent the people. Uh want to do just a couple of things. First of all, our quote for today I, uh, I pull this from Robert Schuler. He's an American Christian televangelist, pastor, motivational speaker, and author. In his five decades of television, Schuler was principally known for the weekly Hour of Power television program. He began hosting that in 1970. He retired in 2010. And uh, he was born in 1926. He died in 2015. My friends, we are in tough times right now, but this is what he said. Tough times never last, but tough people do. Again, tough times never last, but tough people do. So we need to toughen up here and, and continue to walk through this. And the quote for the end of the show is a Robert Schuler quote as well, and you'll, you won't want to miss that. Um, Steve, I did want to mention at the end of the show yesterday, I think it was Marianne from Wyoming that called in, and I'd really love to have her call in at about 747 again today. That number is 303-477-5600. And you said as we were going off the air, the phone lines were just totally lighting up. I want to hear from you guys. Don't be shy. Don't wait until the very last minute. Call uh, beginning about uh, 747, 303-477-5600. And, and we can talk about the topics from yesterday as well. I want to hear what you have to say about that. Uh, and the show comes to you because so many of you support us. And you can go to the website. You can contribute. Uh, I have great partners, and it's uh, a great partner of mine. has been Hooters Restaurants. They su- they support both the shows, the Kim Munson Show and America's Veterans Stories. They have five locations, Loveland, Westminster, Aurora, Lone Tree, and Colorado Springs. And Wednesdays are Wednesday. You buy 20 wings, you get 10 for free. And whenever the girls come over on Wednesdays, I always get those. I particularly love the smoked wings, crispy, with either the lemon pepper rub or the uh, Texas barbecue rub. They're delicious. And they become partners of mine. It's a story of freedom and free markets and capitalism. If you want to find out about that, go to my website. You can do so. We're going to go to break. We'll be right back with Ben Murray. And he is um, the director. Well, let's see. I have the exact title here. He's the director of fiscal fiscal policy with the Independence Institute. We're going to be talking about some funny things that are happening with taxes and fees. We'll be right back. Three Points Financial is a fiduciary financial planning company focused on helping individuals and families. Mary Alpers and Steve Cruz at Three Points Financial specialize in investment strategies, tax planning and preparation, and retirement planning with no product sales or commissions. Tax laws have changed and will continue to change. Inflation is real. Three Points Financial helps you maneuver through these changes to achieve your financial success. For clarity and a solid, relevant financial and investment plan while working with a company that puts your interests at the forefront, schedule a no-obligation initial consultation at threepointsfinancial.com. That's threepointsfinancial.com. 
All of Kim's sponsors are an inclusive partnership with Kim and are not affiliated with or in partnership with KLZ or Crawford Broadcasting. If you would like to support the work of the Kim Munson Show and grow your business, contact Kim at her website, KimMunson.com. That's Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N.com. With the right training from Franktown Firearms, anyone can improve. The professionals at Franktown meet you at your current level of experience, gauging your level of confidence so that they know what kind of training to recommend to you. After you purchase your firearm, regardless of the level you're at, Franktown will encourage you to train. They maintain a comfortable atmosphere, encouraging improvement from any level with one-on-one training and private training up to advanced training and classes. They even offer a concealed carry certification class. Franktown actively avoids the corporate model as a family-owned, operated, and family-friendly environment. They give everyone the time of day, meaning that they emphasize the importance of training in a comfortable and inclusive environment. Franktown Firearms wants you to be as invested in improving your skills as they are in their training with you. Sign up for a course today at klzradio.com franktown. Franktown Firearms, where friends are made. And welcome back to the Kim Munson Show. I'm Kim Munson. Be sure and check out our website. That's Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N.com. Sign up for our weekly newsletter there. You can email me at Kim at KimMunson.com as well. And thank you to all of you who support us. We're an independent voice. We search for truth and clarity by looking at these issues through the lens of freedom versus force, force versus freedom. Something's a good idea. You shouldn't have to force people to do it. Uh, on the line with me is Ben Murray, and he is the Director of Fiscal Policy with the Independence Institute, which is a think tank located right here in Denver. And uh wanted to talk with him about just some of these things. She's, and he said they're really more connected. And there's several things. First of all, people were surprised to find out July 1st that for home deliveries, there is a 27 cent fee that is collected. Of course, your entrepreneurs, your businesses have to collect that and remit that. Uh, but then there was the delay on the new gas tax till after the elect or gas, excuse me, t- uh, gas fee, not gas tax because they didn't ask us gas fee that was uh, passed by the legislature. But they're delaying that till after the election. And then Polis is going to send uh, some of our Tabor refunds back to us right before the election and probably take credit for that. And when I was talking with Ben about this in preparation for the show, he said they're all connected. So, Ben Murray, welcome to the show. Kim, thanks for having me back on today. Absolutely. So what is going on here? Uh, It seems like they're nickel and diming us to death, uh, but yet they don't want us to know it. They're trying to hide it. Uh, They're not standing behind the legislation they passed. They're delaying it because they realize that that people might not like that at the ballot box. So what's your thoughts on all of this, uh, Ben Murray? I think I think it'd be useful to start off with sort of a big picture uh, of what's been going on in the last four years since Democrats have had unified control of state government. I'm just going to paint a picture here. So for the, for, for the first three years, they increased taxes and fees by billions of dollars without voter consent, which Tabor requires. They use legal gimmicks to get around the voter consent. But but now this year they're worried about rising costs of living in Colorado and how that's going to affect the reelection. So they started out in January this year when session was about to begin, and they, and they decided that this year they're going to campaign on affordability and saving Coloradans money. So, so what did they do this session to fulfill that promise? 
I kind of break it up into four four buckets. First, they they delayed fees that they themselves created. Number two, they dipped into our TABOR refunds to hand out tax benefits to special interests, which they called savings to all of us. Number three, they raided both our TABOR refunds and local government coffers to score political points with a temporary property tax cut after thwarting a permanent property tax cut. Wow. And then the last thing, they used every gimmick possible to reduce the amount of money they're required to refund us under TABOR, so that's important to understand. But despite doing that, they weren't able to completely take away our entire TABOR refund. So they gave us part of our TABOR refunds through rebate checks so they could take credit for the refunds we're entitled to get anyways under TABOR. So what's most, perhaps most important, let me say this last thing before, before you ask some follow-up questions. What's perhaps most important here is that nearly all the savings polls in the Democrats claim they gave us were offset by a reduction in our TABOR refunds. That means they didn't really save us anything after raising taxes and fees on us consistently for four years. The one session they said they were going to save us money, they just raided our TABOR refunds to offset the lost revenue. The whole thing was a re-election ploy. I mean, simply put, they're charlatans who lied to us to get our votes. Do you think, uh, I'm concerned that this is going to work because I think that, uh, you know, everyday people are busy. They, and that's why we do this show is to try to continue to shed light on what is happening. But with Polis sending out, uh, and they're calling it the Colorado cashback rebate is actually our, our Tabor refunds, but it's going to come out right before the election. And it's going to be $750 for individuals and $1,500 for joint filers. And as producer Steve says, I mean, this is clearly pandering to buy votes. Uh, This is our, this is our money. It's, uh, uh, you know, they've taken all kinds of their cuts uh, and and it's not really their cuts. It's our money. And they've taken cuts out of it and they're going to send money back to us. But, Politically, it's a very interesting move, Ben Murray. I mean, it's, it's clever. There, there are two things I like to observe about, about these $750 checks. Number one is that um, they didn't want to give us any refunds at all. Democrats hate taper. Do you remember Proposition C, C, or Proposition CC just a few years ago? Where right. Dem- uh, Polis and the Democrats stood up on the podium and told us how they wanted to take our taper refunds? Um, well, they, they failed. Voters said no. They don't like Tabor. They don't want to give us these refunds at all. But despite their – and by the way, even though CC failed, they've done everything they can every year to use loopholes to reduce the amount of refunds. And we can get into some of the specifics if you want to. But despite their best efforts, they still have to send us money. And so they said, hey, we hate Tabor. We don't want to send voters any money at all, but we have to. So let's go ahead and send out rebate checks early so we can claim credit for it and make it seem like we did. That's number one. Number two – is by sending us rebate checks early. And what Polis said, and the Democrats have said, it's, well, it's great, especially with high inflation, for people to get this money a little earlier. So Democrats have now implicitly said, hey, we like Tabor. This is great. These refunds are great. And by the way, we think it's better if you get this money even sooner, which, by the way, this is foreshadowing to Initiative 31, a tax cut that's going to appear on the ballot this November, where I'm going to say, hey, look, if it's better that we get the refunds a little earlier, why not just let people keep it in their paychecks to begin with? What a novel idea, Ben Murray. So I expect Democrats and Governor Polis to all support Initiative 31, this income tax cut, because they uh, like the idea of people getting to keep that money sooner. 
Now, speaking of that, Polis has, uh, I know that Polis is good friends with Arthur Laffer. And Arthur Laffer has uh, been a real proponent of getting rid of income taxes. And I like that idea. However, what we've seen with Democrats is uh, that, you know, fee, they increase fees they, and they, they will find other ways to, they're not going to reduce revenue. I think that's the thing. If we reduce income taxes, we de- we need to in- reduce revenue across the the government revenue across the spectrum. And um, I think that I've heard rumblings that Polis might support an income tax cut. Is that correct? Or what are you hearing, Ben? So Polis has said publicly that he supports not just reducing the income tax, but he supports zero income tax. He said that publicly. Now, I'm starting to to wonder how genuine that statement was because, uh, you know, this year, there were two bills, um, actually several bills, but two specifically I'm thinking of that would have cut income taxes. One would have been a, a, a tax reduction in the amount that you're going to see on the ballot this November. And then the other one would have actually created a mechanism that Independence Institute, where I work, came up with. This bill would have instituted that mechanism to actually ratchet down the income tax over a period of time until we eventually eliminate it. Now, Governor Polis's party sent both of those bills to kill committee where they basically died without any real consideration. Governor Polis's hands are technically clean on that, but it's interesting that he stays silent while he lets his party do his, do his dirty. Right. So he goes on stage and he right. says, Oh, I support it. I support zero income tax. I support tax reform. It's going to help the middle class, blah, 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 blah. And then his party goes and does the dirty work of actually killing these measures while he stays silent. I'm wondering if he's actually going to, to speak up and, and, and try to accomplish what he says he wants. I, I think that he has um, very smart political handlers because, to your point, he, and he's trying to paint himself as more libertarian. But as you say, the, the, the Democrats in the House and Senate here in Colorado have done a lot of the dirty work. Of course, now they're wanting to delay some of that, the effects of that dirty work till after the election because they realize people may not like it. But also the boards and commissions uh, and different authorities. He, uh, Polis, um, appoints the, the people that run those uh, bureaucratic agencies, and they have done a tremendous amount of dirty work that has hurt uh, the Colorado economy, that's hurt the Colorado, the people of Colorado, particularly through the pandemic where they shut down businesses, made it difficult, you know, to, uh, said one business is essential, another isn't. And so he keeps his hands pretty clean. He's trying to make himself look libertarian, which he's not because the policies, you look at Colorado, Colorado is, is not a, a state that is libertarian from a public policy standpoint at all. It's, it's very, uh, it's very onerous here. It's difficult to do business here. Uh, but he's been pretty politically smart about this, Ben. He, he has. I mean, I think he's a savvy political actor. Um, but one thing that I want to start getting out there, and I don't know if this is going to catch on, but, you know, in 2020, Democrats coined this, this term, the big lie. Okay. Uh, and we all know what, what they're talking about. Um, well, in 2022, there's another big lie happening here in Colorado. And the big lie is, you know, Governor, Governor Polis issued a press release last month that said there were 100 ways that he and the legislature saved all of his money. That's a crock. That is a big lie. 
um, going back to what I said before, and, and you're right about the commissions and everything else, and, and Polis not really being a, a, a libertarian, um, I look at it from a fiscal view. I look at it all through a spending and revenue and taxes perspective. In the 2021 legislature alone, the governor signed into law over $5 billion in new taxes and fees, all without voter consent. Now, that means over $700 million out of taxpayers' pockets in the first year alone. This session, when he was supposed to be saving us money, the big lie that they saved us money, I counted up all the savings over the next two years from the tax and fee relief and subtracted that from the total reduction TABOR refunds due to legislation passed this year. On net, taxpayers didn't save anything. We still come out down $46 million on net. Does that make sense? Do I need to unpack that? Well, I mean, think uh, about that. that. They said they saved us money. They raised our TABOR refunds, and on net, we still come out $46 million down as taxpayers. That was saving us money, according to Governor Polis. Well, I've got to – yeah, it is a big lie, and I've got to think people are – you are understanding that. Of course, then we talk about how savvy he is politically – uh, people are hurting. They're they're going. Something's not right here. And then right before the election, um, you know, they're going to get um, seven hundred fifty dollars per person. It's um, it's something that I hope people don't fall for that. But Ben, let's go to break. I have Ben Murray on the line. Uh, he is the uh, director of fiscal policy at the in- Independence Institute here in Denver, which is a think tank. And uh, he had another piece that just came out regarding inflation uh, that was published in Complete Colorado. So let's talk about that as well. So stay tuned. We'll be right back with Ben Murray. And then at 747 is when we'll take call-ins. And Marianne in Wyoming, I hope that you'll give us a call. We got jammed up at the end of the show yesterday. So don't be shy. Call earlier, 303-477-5600, 303-477-5600. We will be right back with Ben Murray. Ladies and gentlemen, what do you know about informed consent? The principle is a cornerstone in medicine and applies to nearly all medical treatments, including vaccination. Informed consent is a legal and ethical obligation of your health care provider and should include the benefits, risk, and alternatives regarding the proposed treatment. Sadly, two-thirds of patients report not being given sufficient information about the treatment and even report feeling pressured to give consent. Informed consent is not just your signature. It could be your life. This message is sponsored by Colorado Healthcare Providers for Freedom.com. The Metro home ownership real estate market is very tight right now. That's why Kim Munson recommends you have seasoned REMAX realtor Karen Levine on your side of the table. Karen Levine will help you navigate through the many details of your home buying experience so that you can successfully pursue your American dream. Because Karen Levine cares about property rights for each individual, she volunteers hundreds of hours to represent home ownership opportunities at the local, county, state, and national levels. If you are considering buying or selling your home, call Karen Levine today at 303-877-7516. Again, that's 303-877-7516. You'd like to get in touch with one of the sponsors of the Kim Munson Show, but you can't remember their phone contact or website information. Find a full list of advertising partners on Kim's website, kimmunson.com. That's Kim, M-O-N-S-O-N dot com. 
welcome back to the Kim Munson Show. I'm Kim Munson. Be sure and check out our website. That's Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N.com. Sign up for our weekly newsletter there. And you can email me at Kim at KimMunson.com as well. Thank you to all of you who support us. We're an independent voice. We search for truth and clarity by looking at these issues through the lens of freedom versus force, force versus freedom. If something's a good idea, you shouldn't have to force people to do it. And uh, we have Ben Murray on the line with us. He is the director of fiscal policy at the Independence Institute. And Ben, you just recently published a piece uh, where you said inflation makes the case for lowering Colorado's income tax. And, you know, this is just riveting what you said in here. You said someone earning $70,000 per year in January of 2020 would now need to earn over $80,000 to maintain the same standard of living today. And many Colorado households and businesses have struggled, uh, struggled to keep up. Well, that's for sure. And that's a significant increase that uh, folks would have to, to get a raise like that. Uh, and that's not happening across the, the board. So people are hurting. So tell us, um, tell us about this, um, income tax reduction. How that, how can that help? Yeah. So Independence Institute has been, uh, behind an effort to, reduce the income tax. Now, for a long time, actually going back, Independence Institute was part of um, putting the flat tax that we now have into law. We were part of um, helping get Tabor across the finish line back in the 90s and other tax reductions. Then in 2020, we were um, part of Proposition 116, which lowered our income tax to where it is now. And this year, we have another initiative, Initiative 131, which uh, through our issue committee, we're supporting. And we um, we would tax reduce the income tax rate again from um, 4.55 to 4.40 percent if voters pass it. Um, now, what this would do is really just put more money back in the pockets of Coloradans at a time when costs are rising faster than they've risen in, in over 40 years. I mean, the last time we had inflation at the level we saw this past month was November of 1981 when we were coming out of the years of Jimmy Carter and stagflation. Um, so, so it's it's bad. It's not looking good for household budgets. And um, to, to the point we made earlier, they're having to refund us money anyways because state coffers are absolutely overflowing. We're, we're talking about, um, I think, about $4.5 billion in Tabor refunds that are going out over three years. You know, rather and than it, waiting till tax day to get the refund, why not just cut taxes so we get to keep it in our paycheck to begin with? Oh, that that is such an important point to make on that. And a lot of this is because of federal money that has come to Colorado. Is that one of the reasons because the well, coffers me, are so full? Not exactly. Because when I talk about these refunds, uh, these billions of dollars in refunds, that doesn't even include the federal money. The federal government has sent something like, I think it's $60 billion in aid to Colorado in various ways, the direct aid to businesses and people and this and that, local governments. But the state government specifically has gotten $8 billion in direct aid, okay, from the federal government. None of that is even subject to the Tabor limit, right? So the amount of, lim- of revenue that the limit, uh, sorry, the amount of revenue that the government, the state government is allowed to collect from taxpayers is not um, is the uh, the federal money is not included in that. So well, our economy can't be growing that, so well that, so, that where'd that money come from? 
then because Colorado can't, <laughs> yeah, Colorado can't be growing. Uh, the economy's not that great, is it? So, I mean, here's, how did the, here's a big part of it. Let, let me, yeah, that's a great question. That's a great question. Let me walk you through some of the numbers. Right, number one, you know, uh, the state just passed the largest budget in state history at over thirty-eight billion dollars. Now that budget, thirty-eight billion dollars, is about twenty-five percent larger than the last budget they passed before the pandemic, right? So 2019, this budget is 25% larger. Let me ask you, has your budget increased by 25% since the pandemic? I mean, I know mine hasn't. Has your household budget increased by 25%? I mean, maybe it has. Mine hasn't. I think most people listening would probably say, gosh, mine hasn't increased by 25%, but the state's budget has increased by 25%. Now, part of the reason for that is, um, and maybe one one of the only shortcomings of Tabor, it was necessary to for the compromise to get the pass back in the day is that taper adjusts automatically for inflation. So it says, Hey, when inflation is super high, really anytime, you know, with any inflation, but especially now it's important when inflation is super high, when it's 9.1% like it is today, the, but the, the state budget, the, the amount of money the state, state's allowed to keep from taxpayers actually goes up adjusted for inflation. Right. So just when inflation is hitting taxpayer budgets, the hardest, the government actually gets to keep more of our money. Uh, yet another reason why why we need to not only cut the income tax now, but actually create a mechanism which Independence Institute has has put out there um, that would ratchet down the income tax over time. We call it our path to zero. And you can actually find okay. out more about that at um, independenceinstitute.org. By the way, if you're interested. Okay. Okay, yeah, let's let's just talk about this. And and Tabor basically has said it says government can grow at inflation plus population. Anything above that needs to be refunded back to the people or the people have to give permission for uh, government to keep that. And so this is a really interesting point. So government grows, uh, well, inflation grows at 9.1%. Most people are not getting 9.1% raises this year. But government is going to be able to uh, use that number and grow government. And to that point is we need to be electing people, Ben, that want people to flourish and grow instead of government to grow. And government doesn't um, create anything. The revenue that it gets is because it's taken from people or it's taking um, borrowing from our, our kids' future. And so, I mean, the real thing that we should be doing is electing people that will be representatives of the people, not these special interests, and that will work to start to limit government instead of grow government. But that's not going to happen with the current makeup of people at the state house in the governor's mansion right now, Ben Murray. Yeah, that's right. It's unfortunate. And and that gives me another opportunity to highlight um, something Polis actually said on his campaign trail back in 2018. So when you hear Polis go around and state campaigning, you wonder, hey, is this guy telling me the truth? Well, look, what did he say in 2018? One of the things he said in 2018, in fact, I'll quote his own op-ed. He said that he supports, um, oops, sorry, i got to find my quote here. I called for it. This is Pol- Governor Polis, quote, I called for a revenue-neutral tax reform proposal that would have eliminated deductions and loopholes that benefit special interests in order to cut taxes for all. And what does he do this session? He took tax cuts, effectively tax cuts. Tabor, refund, tabor refunds are effectively tax cuts. So he took tax refunds from everybody. He rounded up some of that money, and he redistributed that money by way of tax benefits 
to special interests. Now, he conveniently called those tax benefits he handed out. Um, he conveniently called them savings to all of us. The truth is he, he took, our, took all of our TABOR refunds and picked special interests, probably very targeted special interests that he, whose votes he needed this election. Um, and I presume, I don't know uh, the politics of it, but he, he picked special interests to hand out those tax benefits. So he did exactly the opposite of what he told us in 2018 on the campaign trail he was going to do. Now, he goes around and talks about how he wants your income tax, but he hasn't done it. He hasn't lifted a finger to move in that direction. So I think to your point is, again, what he said, that quote, sounds very attractive. Out on the campaign trail, people are going to like that. His handlers, their messaging, uh, and you see this with many politicians, is their messaging, they have their finger in the wind, they figure out what people want to hear, and they tell them that. But we need to be electing people that will actually do what they say they're going to do when we vote, except, well, Biden, who said he was going to shut down the fossil fuel industry. He was at least honest on that. I'm interested. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Uh, What about special interests? Um, What special interests? Can you give us an example or two of uh, how? I have have my numbers here, uh, Kim. $218 $218 million, I counted up, in tax benefits to special interests, right? That, by the way, they're counting that $218 million as money they, they saved us, the taxpayer. Here's who they actually saved money for. Uh, here's a tax credit, $46 million for alternative transit tax credits. That's a tax credit to businesses who provide alternative transit to employees for things like electric bikes and electric scooters and mass transit, uh, et cetera. Um, then there's tax credits for energy-efficient heat pumps. Well, that's probably going to be a, kind of like the electric vehicle tax credit. That's going to be something that if you're wealthy enough to, well, first of all, to even own a home, second of all, to upgrade your heating system to energy-efficient heat pumps, then, yeah, you'll get a tax credit from, from, from the state government now. Uh, by the way, the money for that tax credit, keep in mind, is coming from the refunds that would have gone to all of us. Got it. Okay. okay. Another one, senior housing income tax credit, $50 million. Now, look. Maybe some of these things are a good idea. Maybe we should think about increasing the senior housing income tax credit. But the point is, is you can't take $50 million from my refund and then give that to seniors who conveniently are an important voter block, right? Very large generation. They turn out to vote. I get it. It's an important voting block. So we hand $50 million to them to buy their votes. We rate our table refunds. Then we tell everybody that we save them money by, mm-hmm. by giving $50 million to seniors instead of to everybody. Do you see the mm-hmm. game here? Do you see the show game? I do. I I do. And and I just want to say, if we had representatives that uh, were not putting in policies, th- this high hyperinflation is because of public policy. And I think Milton Friedman, uh, you know, said had said that as 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 well. So uh, seniors obviously probably are hurting because they're on fixed incomes, and when you have hyperinflation like this, it's going to hurt their pocketbooks for sure. But instead of giving doing these gimmies, these band aids, let's look at what the real problem is, and that is government is getting too big, it's out of control, and we need to be electing people that are going to to put it back in the box that it's supposed to be. And through good good public policy, inflation will come down. People will have more money in their pocket because of good tax policy, lowering taxes. We can solve this problem, Ben Murray. What's uh, the final thought that you'd like to leave with our listeners today? Well, I think the final thought is that we really can't trust these politicians, number one, to do what they said they were going to do. And number two, we can't trust them. We can't count on them to continue to provide 
savings to us. I, I would say they didn't do it to begin with, but uh, let's say they did. They delayed some fees and this and that and saved us some money. All of those expire after the election, and that's not an accident. They want to grow government. They want to keep as much money of ours as they possibly can. They think, Governor Polis and his friends in the legislature think, that you are better off when they and their bureaucrat friends are spending more of your money for you instead of you spending it for yourself. Now, the answer to this is don't trust them to do what they said they're going to do. Don't trust them to renew these, these fee delays after the election. They're, they're not going to do it. Once you give them their vote, once you give them your vote, they're going to keep growing government. They're going to take back all of those um, safe, quote-unquote, savings. What you need to do as a voter, I think, this November is think about how can I guarantee myself savings? And the way to do that is to reduce the income tax. There's an initiative on the ballot, Initiative 31. And then ultimately, every voter in Colorado needs to start saying, path to zero. On the campaign trail, they need to be asking people asking for their vote, do you support path to zero? Do you support path to zero? And if they don't, they should not get our vote. Okay, Ben Murray, a very interesting, and, and uh, we'll continue to have this conversation because on Path to Zero, I'd like to add in uh, fees as well uh, uh, because uh, that's where I'm concerned that they're going to ding us. So Ben Murray, a Director of Fiscal Policy at Independence Institute, thank you so much. I greatly appreciate it. And before we go to break, the nonprofit that I am adopting is the USMC Memorial Foundation.org. They're raising money to remodel the memor- Marine Memorial out at Sixth and Colfax. You can honor uh, your military service, your loved one's military service by buying a brick that will denote that on one of their walkways. Uh, you can contribute at, uh, at just as well. You can donate at usmcmemorialfoundation.org. That's usmcmemorialfoundation.org. Now, I want to hear from you, and I don't want you to be shy, and I hope that Marianne in Wyoming will give a call because we, we got jammed up yesterday and, and then the, at the end of the show, and then the lines were lighting up, and I want to hear what you have to say. 303-477-5600. We'll be right back. Inflation is rocking our boats, especially for individuals on fixed incomes. If you are 62 years or older, mortgage specialist with Polygon Financial Group, Lauren Levy, can help you navigate this inflation squeeze with a reverse mortgage. Additionally, if you are considering buying a new home, refinancing your existing home, or consolidating high interest debt, it's not too late to lock in an interest rate before interest rates increase again. Don't wait. Kim Munson recommends you call Lauren Levy today at 303-880-8881 for a no-cost consultation. That's Lauren Levy at 303-880-8881. Inflation is out of control. Increasing prices at the gas pump and grocery stores are hurting everyday people. All these challenges we face are preventable. Individuals must understand what is going on. That's why Kim Munson is bringing truth and clarity to the issues facing our families, our communities, our state, and our country. Now, more than ever, it's important to support Kim's independent voice. Kim has the courage to research and inform you about the real issues. It's not easy, and Kim can use your help. Go to KimMunson.com to contribute. Again, help Kim by contributing at Kim Munson. That's M-O-N-S-O-N dot com. 
And welcome back to the Kim Munson Show. Check out our website. That's KimMunson.com. Sign up for our weekly newsletter there. Email me at Kim at KimMunson.com. And thank you to all of you who support us. Uh, phone lines are full. 303-477-5600. Johnny in Denver. Uh, welcome. What's on your radar? Okay. I have to listen to that interview that you did uh, twice yesterday with the mother that had the um, artistic kid. And it seemed like the Democrats fooled the Republicans for voting a, a bill that the, the up the price to, to well, I thought it was like a thousand dollars, and I, going in there, there's going to be wolves in sheep clothing, and I, I'm writing down the names of some of these people so I can say I can I can call on them to say okay, this is what's in front of me, I need some wisdom greater than mine because the Democrats are smiling in my face, the Republicans say hey go along with this, but but. If the Democrats are pulling the Republicans or the Republicans are going along with this, I want to know because I want to shrink this this Colorado government. I don't want this to be the, the highest uh, uh, employer uh, is, is the government. Go back to uh, just the, the, the community and, and get your pay through the market. Well, and that's really important. So what uh, you're referring to is yesterday we had Pam Long on, and she has written an essay regarding what um, con- uh, I think Christian conservatives need to understand about cannabis. And what she had noted there is that Big Pharma has a cannabis um Base product or a cannabis product that has a different name to it that uh, can be used for many of the, the different uses that she talked about from a, a medicinal standpoint. And the cost for that is like a thousand dollars, and the comparable cost uh, from uh, for medical cannabis is eighty dollars. But you see, big pharma once again making money on it. And so, to that point, Johnny, I know you're running for House District Five, and it's Johnny. That's J O H N N I E J for Colorado House District Five dot com. Uh, love the fact that you yeah. want to gain more wisdom on the subject. And again, totally agree. We need to reduce government and, and then increase the private economy, which uh, that's. I think what you're alluding to. So, Johnny J, thank you so much. It's always great to hear from you. All right. Thanks. Okay. Marianne in Wyoming, we cut you off yesterday. What's your thoughts? (laughs) Thank you so much for taking my phone call this morning, Kim. Um, I would like to make a comment about the cannabis. Now, I have followed a talk show by the uh, host by the name of uh, Michael Savage out of California for 30 years, and he has done extensive research about the marijuana slash cannabis. And it's very important to do due diligence and research and find out if it's a it's a chemical. And it's not just going to go, let's say, a few of my friends have had um, operations coming up on their backs or their knees or so on and so forth, and they have and are taking the cannabis. And it's working for them. But the side effects of it is there is a change in personality. Because it just doesn't go to your back or to your knee. It goes through your whole system. So you have to be aware of the side effects. And people who have done research for many, many years, uh, be sure and check their books and their research because it's very important because it's not only the body, but how it affects people mentally. Okay, that's really important. And as you can... 
tell by my questions yesterday, I, I don't know a lot about the particular subject. And so I appreciate Pam sharing her perspective. I had had, uh, Laura Stack on several months ago who she had lost her son, uh, to suicide. Uh, I, I, and I was thinking about it yesterday, Marianne, after the show that, that, that in a way it was kind of like I've had both a point counterpoint on this issue and providing the information so people can learn more about it. So to your point, it is uh, important to understand the whole big, the whole picture. And I think that Pam Long would agree to, to that as well, Marianne. Uh, thank you so much again for taking my call and my input. I greatly appreciate it. And uh, I think our next caller is at Gary and Loveland, Steve, Gary and Loveland. Okay. Gary and Loveland, what's your thoughts? Good morning, Kim. I'd like, I got a little story to tell you about my own personal use, and I've also got, I want to refer to the lady that you had on yesterday. Okay. I tried to get on to talk, I'd like to talk to her about the THC factor in the cannabis. And I also have a book on cannabis and CBD for health and wellness by um, Elza Sherman. And Dr. Julia Chin, Julia, I think it's right. And there's also a book out by Brian Popko, I Want My CBD. If you could get some of these people from these, uh, 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 where you buy your pot and then uh, sell the CBD, you'll, you'll find out a lot more about it. And it'd be nice if you could get uh, from these dispensaries, somebody that's on there. Uh, to tell you what the relation is between your government and the pharmaceutical companies. Now, I'll make this as quick as I can. Um, I was born in Nebraska, and we didn't know anything about drugs and all that. All the parents did was drink, and, uh, and that was about it, and smoke cigarettes. So I started smoking cigarettes when I was a junior in high school, I quit somewhere in the late 70s or early 80s. In 1967, I started smoking pot. I was a musician and I was playing in bands. That's how I got introduced to it. And I've smoked all these years until last year in July. And so I've had one year now with no, no smoking. Now, the marijuana to me, I'm not even going to call that because that lady that talked to you yesterday, she's right on about everything she said, and these books will tell you the same thing. But the cannabis part of it, it, it mellows you out. It helps you deal with stress. It's helped me on some of my medical problems, uh, especially my eyes, and, um, and I love it, but I can't afford it anymore. And the reason for that is the fact that these pharmaceutical companies have come into Colorado and bottled this up so that these growers can't grow anything or you can't sell anything unless it's from Colorado. It used to be you could get it from California and all over the place. Now, here's the difference. That THC factor, if, you can, if I can smoke stuff that had THC 30% or more, I didn't have to smoke so much. I could do one bowl or a couple bowls and last four or five hours during the day. Now you can't get 20% or less, and that makes you smoke a lot more. 
So now they're making more money, selling more, and keeping people probably sick. And I never had any trouble. I've worked all my life, and I've never had any trouble at all with it, except your toxin level. And so last year in July, I started getting pains in my chest, and my balance was off because I smoked so damn much. Okay. And so, Gary, you decided to uh, quit at that particular point in time. And I, I do want to yeah. make one other point is uh, from a tax revenue standpoint, this uh, this industry has been a real boon for Colorado uh, government. Yeah. They've uh, re- in, uh, gotten a lot of taxes on that. Gary, I really appreciate you sharing your perspective on this as well. Thank you. All right. Thank you. And thank you for what you're doing. You're getting the truth okay. out. Okay. And, uh, uh, clearly this is, um, it's, it's a subject that, uh, I, I need to learn a lot more about it. It's something, you know, it's, it's prevalent here. It's here in Colorado. And I appreciate all of you sharing your perspective. It's important that people be informed. Uh, and again, uh, I, I, um, uh, concerned about in an entitlement society, as, as Gary said, that he's taking care of himself. He's made this choice, but he's also been a protective member of society, which that is super important as well. So, uh, important subject. So thank you so much. We're, we're out of time. And as I've been thinking about the tough times that we're in here in America and in our world, I went to Robert Schuler and he said, when faced with a mountain, I will not quit. I will keep striving until I climb over, find a pass through, tunnel underneath or simply stay and turn the mountain into a gold mine with God's help. So my friends today, be grateful, read great books, think good thoughts, listen to beautiful music, communicate and listen well, live honestly and authentically, strive for high ideals and like Superman stand for truth, justice and the American way. My friends, you are not alone. God bless you and God bless America. Like a new 